Let's welcome back our good friend Luke Tress, reporter for JTA, formerly reporter for Times of Israel. Luke, it's great to have you back here. We will get to campus anti-Semitism, which you've been covering a lot, at the Biden administration and how they're, they're pushing for a pause in Gaza. But first, you covered this amazing story this week of the Café Armon, where employees walked out because they didn't like the fact that the café supported Israel. Volunteers poured in to assist. This is just such an amazing and positive story. So can you tell us about that? And first of all, welcome. Great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me back on. Um, yeah, so yesterday we started seeing messages going around on, on WhatsApp mostly and on social media saying this cafe on the Upper West Side or Upper East Side was um, had employees quit because the cafe owner is supporting Israel and doing donations. And these messages were going around saying they're closing the cafe and they need help. So uh, we like I ran up there to see what was going on. I got there. There's a line around the block. It's like in the middle of the block. The line goes all the way to the next street and then wraps halfway around the next block. So there's probably well over 100 people there. Um, so I talked to the uh, the cafe owner's mom. Her name's uh, Peggy Dahan. The owner is Aaron Dahan. So what happened is um, Aaron Dahan, the owner, he owns a chain. He has been raising money for MADA, for Magen Davida Dome, uh, since since the October 7th attack. And some of his employees are, are like young, progressive, pro-Palestinian people, and they didn't like it. Even though MADA is it's not a, it's not political, it's an ambulance emergency services. So um, there exactly. was this, he had posters. Yeah, he had posters of uh, kidnapped Israeli hostages on the uh, the glass in front of the store. And there's like uh, miniature Israeli and American flags next to the register. So it's not like he was doing anything, anything crazy. It's it's like he has, you know, it's hostages. It's amb- he's trying to raise money to buy like a, a ambulance motorcycle for Mada. But the, the employees did not like this Israel advocacy. So in the past week, between his three coffee shops, uh, five employees, not in the past, the past couple of weeks, five employees quit. And then on uh, yesterday, two employees showed up to the Upper East Side location with um, like pro-Palestinian pins on their their aprons for the cafe. And um, they got in an argument with the manager. One of them stormed out of the cafe on the spot and um so he like they've they've had five people quit now and he just he didn't have the manpower to keep the cafe open. So he uh, he was at a catering event. He couldn't come in. He called his mom who lives in the neighborhood, said, like, I'm closing down the shop. Can you like help them close up? And then she put the call out asking for help to keep it open. And the response was just overwhelming. So she went into work, her friends, her like daughter's friends, a bunch of people went in to volunteer to work. And then word got out that like this cafe was suffering because of this Israel advocacy. So people from all around the neighborhood and all around the city just flocked to this cafe and um, just really, really showing support. Some people were holding Israeli flags and um, speaking to people there, they were saying, like, this is this is the community coming together. Like, we, we believe what the cafe was doing. They shouldn't be punished for it. So we came to show our support and um, to to give them business while they're having having these problems because of their Israel advocacy. Unbelievable. So you must have been one of the first, if not the first, to break this story. I and mean, this was like the cover of The New York Post today, which is Wednesday. We're, we're talking about this. 
uh, where they had these amazing photos, like you said, the lines around the block and everything. But you were really on top of this before anybody and down there in person. Yeah, I was down there in person. The, the post guys were there at the same time as me. Um, yeah, I mean, it really it really got out like it, it really took uh, like was on fire on social media and, and messaging like people really it really struck a chord with people in uh, like in and around the community. This story. But like you said, the shocking part is that something like supporting Muggin David Adam could be the least bit controversial. I mean, like you said, they're lifesavers, they're responders, they're medical people. These are not, it's not controversial in any way, shape or form. I mean, Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg donated $44 million in a matching campaign, raised 80 something million dollars. And we're seeing things that should not be controversial. Obama calls it complicated. It's not complicated. There are terrorists and there are the good guys, the innocent civilians. And yet, you know, this horrific, horrific story that happened in L.A., of course, this unspeakable tragedy. And I guess they're saying the details are still sketchy, but at least witnesses definitely say that they saw this man being hit by a megaphone, unprovoked, hit in the head. And, we, you know, it's hard to, like, excuse. You say they're young, they're progressive, but... It's hard to say they're misguided or they're confused. Like, it's so, so obvious. And you see the images and every all, all the reporting that comes out. And and yet there's this sentiment, this frightening, frightening sentiment of hate and of anti-Semitism. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's really it's really complex, everything that's going on on the left right now. Um but, but but yeah, the cafe is a good example. So when I went down there, I was expecting maybe they were supporting like friends of the ID, like FIDF, friends of the IDF, or some like right wing causes. Um, and then I was surprised they're trying to buy like a metacycle for for medics, which is which is totally which is not a, should not be a controversial thing. Also, the hostage posters are a good example. People see a hostage poster with a baby who's held by terrorists. And they tear it down or they write graffiti on it or something. But, and I think yeah. like th- th- it's, it's so it's so complicated, all the ideology. And it, it's like I think it's a mixture of a lot of things going on. Anti-Semitism is a big part of it. Um, like the, the decolonization ideology, that's that's uh, really a big part of a lot of college humanities courses is a, is a big part of it. I think people take like uh, American racial politics and put them on the Middle East, which which doesn't make sense. But people do that. I think that's a big part of it. But I th- like I think the end result is is people a lot of people see this conflict in, in black and white. And the Israelis are the bad guys and the oppressors and the Palestinians are the good guys. So even if something like a, a baby being held hostage, they see that and say, oh, this is this is Zionist propaganda. It's bad. They're the bad guys. So I'm going to tear it down. So, like, I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think social media is a big part of it. I th- like, I think these ideological trends are a big part of it. But and, and like, obviously, anti-Semitism is a big part of it. But, yeah, it's it's this kind of black and white good guy, bad guy outlook. Um is is bad and it, it's it's dangerous like like we saw in la still not totally clear what happened there but um like i saw a video today before before this guy got killed they were shouting like hitler should have smashed you guys there so and and then after he fell and hurt and was badly hurt and taken away in an ambulance they just continued protesting as if nothing happened so I think a lot of this is like it ends up dehumanizing Israelis and and also to a lesser extent Jews here, like calling all Israelis colonizers or settlers. And that that that's the kind of thing that leads you to 
rip down a poster of a hostage baby. So I like, I like there's a lot going on here, but I think, I think the bottom line is for people in these kind of far, far left, um, ideologies, I think it's, 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 it's dangerous for Jewish people. Uh, yeah, that, that no question is extremely dangerous, and I, I understand you're adding context. I want to be very clear, and I think you'd probably agree with this, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you know, it's disgraceful and inexcusable, like you said, tearing down pictures of baby hostages. So you're giving us kind of what the mindset is and the backdrop, and they equate it with Israel being occupiers and all that insane nonsense. Doesn't excuse any of it, and it's it's egregious. It's 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 beyond 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 reprehensible. But then there's another level. Which And this is what's troubling me, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, because Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked point blank, would you condemn the people who tear down the posters? Corinne Jean-Pierre. And look, Biden and the Biden administration have been extremely supportive of Israel. John Kirby has been phenomenal. And yet she could not bring herself to say, very simple, I condemn people who actually tear down, who are so evil that they tear down posters of Jewish hostages. She's not somebody who's seeing it through that prism where she has that excuse. And, you know, then you have more extreme. You have Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if you saw this. She's tweeting about how there's been a surge in Islamophobia. And that's a lie. There's no basis whatsoever to suggest that there's been a surge in Islamophobia. The White House is very focused on Islamophobia. And, you know, President Obama made comments about Israeli occupation, which a lot of people felt was very controversial. And then you have Rashida Tlaib and something simple enough, we would think, as a movement, a motion to resolution to censure Rashida Tlaib for making these very, very vicious anti-Israel comments. So like you say, the left is very torn here and very divided, but a lot of troublesome signals. I want to know your thoughts about that. So I, like, I think the, the dangerous stuff, the most extreme stuff, is coming from the pretty far left. Just, just like on the right, it's really the far, far right, like white supremacists who are really dangerous. Um, but, but like young people are like much more sympathetic to Hamas than, than older people and they should be. Um, as far as the White House and, and the, the Democratic leadership, I, I haven't been following it as closely. It's like more New York is my beat, but like, like you said, John Kirby's been, been great. I think Biden has still, still been great. Like he has a lot of factors going on. He has to manage the party. He has to deal with other countries, including other Arab countries. Um, so I, like, I think generally the Democratic leadership has been supportive. It's like in, in New York, you have, uh, like Adams and Governor Hochul have been just overwhelmingly backing the Jewish community. Um, but there is, like you're saying, there is this, there's this kind of instinct to say, I condemn anti-Semitism and I condemn Islamophobia. And it, it's, it, it doesn't really make sense. Like you were saying, like, um, in New York City, Jews are, are targeted in, in hate crimes overwhelmingly more than all other groups put together. Like, I, I, I know the New York City, city statistics more closely, but. Yeah. Um, it's, Islamophobia is not a problem like anti-Semitism is in New York. In uh, in the U.S., Jews are targeted in hate crimes more than any other religious group by far. I think we're two percent of the population, and we're targeted in, in like over fifty percent of of religious hate crimes in the U.S. So yeah, there is this instinct to say I condemn anti-Semitism and also Islamophobia, and for whatever reason, a lot of people have a hard time just just leaving it at, at, at anti-Semitism. Um, and we're seeing this on colleges a lot, too. Like uh, the CUNY system, so a lot of the student groups are partnering with 
really radical pro-Palestinian groups that are openly opposed to the existence of Israel. And you ask the administration and they say, yeah, these groups don't affect us and we, we condemn anti-Semitism and also Islamophobia. And when it's not, it's not, a, it's not a factor in this situation. So for whatever reason, they, yes, the, the, like there's this instinct to, to, to lump the two together, even when it does not make sense. And I, I think it's, it's detrimental. Like right now, anti-Semitism is a bigger problem and people, r- responsible people should be focused on that. Yeah. And you mentioned, well said, and you mentioned the campus anti-Semitism, and that's obviously just out of control. It's It's been an issue for years. It's been brewing and simmering, and this has just made it explode. So let's focus on that for a moment. You had the whole story in Cornell University. That person has been caught. He's mentally ill, but it's amazing how these mentally ill people, somehow they don't, they don't go after other groups. The mental illness somehow takes them toward hatred of Jews and anti-Semitism. He said things that are just horrific on social media, and we know that there's been backlash, but like these campuses, what they allow uh, to go on, uh, whether it's encouraged or not in CUNY, we know about the commencement address. Before this whole situation, a few months ago, there was that commencement address, but what was her name, Fatima Muhammad, where, I mean, just gets up on stage in front of faculty, in front of thousands of students, and says things that were so vicious, so un unthinkable about Israel. And what does it have to do with the commencement address of a law school anyway? And so this has been a systemic issue. Now it's become exposed. It's out of control. Bill Ackman, the billionaire, Bill Ackman, who's a Harvard graduate, he put out this letter uh, you know, to Harvard basically saying, you, you better do something about this. There are a lot of wealthy people now, wealthy donors who are threatening to pull funding. You had a letter from a bunch of law firms to law school deans saying, you need to rein this in. You need to stop it. Do you have any idea how, like, what could possibly, and, and to me, the only way this gets solved or tackled or mitigated is, is, is through money. The only way that these people respond, these leftists who are running the universities are, is going to be if there's a threat to their actual, you know, pocketbooks. So what's the end game? I mean, I, I, to me, it's so systemic. It's hard to believe that there's really anything that could really suppress it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do, what, like, what people should do either. Like, like you can pull donations from Harvard, but they have an endowment of, of billions oh, of dollars. I think $57 billion. <laughs> yeah. something, something crazy. So it, you, you pull a, 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 a donation of millions of dollars, it's, it's nothing to them. And they're not going to ever have they're – not, they're not going to ever have trouble finding students to go there and pay, it. like, however, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars the tuition is per year. So I don't I don't even know if um if uh hurting their pocketbooks is is going to be the best thing. But but I think what a lot of this does is it hurts the school's standing. Like you have someone like Bill Ackman telling Harvard, you guys are allowing anti-Semitism to happen. You you have high-profile donors publicly cutting ties with UPenn. Um I don't I don't know if the money is is going to have a huge impact considering how much they have. But I think it hurts their their standing. It hurts the reputation of these schools in these high level elite circles. So I think that's why those things are going to or might have an impact. Right. I can hear in that. Terms of, uh, yeah. Continue. Yeah. In terms of long term change, um, like I think a lot of the ideologies is embedded in some of these departments, like mostly in the humanities departments. Like if if you look at like the pro Israel pro-Israel resolutions coming out of universities. The people signing them are mostly in in sciences and 
in these areas. The, the people who are most loud and the most anti-Israel people are in the humanities. And this this kind of ideologies I mentioned earlier, like like the decolonization ideology and the racism stuff, it's been it's been building in these departments for a long time. So I don't think it's it's like if it goes away, it's going to be a very long term effort. And I don't I don't know how that's going to work or if it can work. I don't know if it will if it will kind of burn itself out. Like there there have been these kind of. Uh, these ideological things happening in the fa- in the past that kind of kind of drifted away. So, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what's going to happen on universities. I th- I think there is some change starting. Um, some universities have taken steps like uh, to uh, investigate and make changes. There's outside pressure coming. Like uh, Governor Hochul announced last week, she's having a third party review of CUNY, which might be a really big deal, and certainly sends a big message to CUNY. So at the at the top level, there are things happening, but in terms of the ideology where a lot of this is coming from, I don't know where like how that is going to get resolved. Right, it's hard to imagine how they could root things out that are like you said so entrenched. You're talking about so many professors who this is such a, an inherent part of their culture that they'd have to you know almost like overhaul their faculty in a lot of these places. It, it's just so hard to think fathom how such a thing would play out. You're talking about years and years of just changing uh, just a complete ideology and a culture. I, I, you know, I don't know if you follow Mike Lawler, Congressman Mike Lawler of New York. Uh, this is before this whole situation, months ago, when the whole CUNY thing erupted. He actually um, proposed the legislation that would defund colleges who either endorsed or gave a platform. I don't know exactly what the criteria was, but basically colleges that allowed anti-Semitism or, or any kind of hate speech on campus would actually, the, 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 the federal government would stop funding them. Now, it's hard to imagine that could ever get, like, some kind of traction. But that would be really devastating. Yeah, that I, I covered when Congressman Lawler did that. So so there's there's stuff like that happening. I don't, I don't think that a bill like that is going to pass. But there are a lot of uh, Title VI complaints, which is uh, civil rights protection, which was uh, extended. It, 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 it doesn't allow schools that receive federal funding it bars them from discriminating based on race creed or origin and in 2019 president trump extended that to jewish people as a race or or a creed or one of the categories so there have been since then there have been a lot of uh, it's called title six civil rights act of 1964 i think there have been a lot of uh federal lawsuits a lot of them led by the brandeis center which is a jewish legal advocacy group and uh some of those have started federal department of education lawsuits into these colleges including brooklyn college um and i think suny new Paltz, um some other ones in the u.s so these federal investigations are a big deal to these colleges. So it's it's pretty new. I don't think any of them have been resolved yet, um, but they're they're ongoing. And I've I've talked to some of these legal groups like uh, Lawfare Project and Brandeis Center, and there there is going to be a big legal offensive against a lot of these colleges coming soon. So we'll see how that plays out and if it makes a difference. But Again, this is like this is like donors. This is like government officials, uh, the, the, the Department of Education. This is all stuff coming from above, and the ideology is still there in these departments. So I don't I don't know if like the top level approach is going to 
fundamentally change where a lot of this stuff is coming from. It might, but I like I think there needs to be a bottom level approach too, where a lot of, where the ideology is changed. And I think that will be much harder and a much longer process to do. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, I'm not sure if you've been following this whole uh, Congress back and forth in terms of funding for Israel, sending the $14.3 billion in aid and funding that President Biden has requested to send to Israel. And they're all playing politics on all sides, meaning Biden played politics with it, in my opinion, because he linked it to Ukraine. It should not be linked to Ukraine. Israel desperately needs it. They're, they're in the middle of this war. They did not ask for. Send it to them. You've sent $110 billion to Ukraine. Uh, so he's playing politics. Then you have Mike Johnson and the Republicans. They passed a straightforward bill, just Israel. They, they got the money from the IRS, so some people felt that was controversial. Now the Senate says that's a non-starter. That's dead on arrival because it doesn't include Ukraine, and they want border funding. It's like amazing how you would think this would be so simple. Just send the money to Israel because they need the money and then worry about the politics later. Um, are you following all that? I'm curious. You have thoughts on all of that? I, I haven't been following it that closely. Okay, that's fine. Fo- You're focused on yeah, New York. Working in ground level stuff than uh, national politics recently. I understand. That's a nice little sa- safe bet there for you then. But I will just tell you, it's like it should be so simple. Israel needs the money. Israel was under attack, is under attack. $14.3 billion. I just make it happen. But like everybody's got to kind of stuff their own agenda in. I mean, it's it's so typical. They did this with like 9 11 funding. So it's just so typical. But all right, I'll leave you. I'll, I'll let you off the hook uh, with uh, with that one. And, you know, I'm just curious. And again, I know, like, you're focused on the New York and the local stuff. Um, You know, like I said, Biden, Kirby, they've been really, really uh, supportive of Israel. Now they're pressuring uh, Bibi Netanyahu for a humanitarian pause. They're not calling it a ceasefire. They're calling it a pause. It sure sounds like a ceasefire to me. But I'm curious just more of your take if you think that as time goes on, you know, the human shield thing, it works. Hamas's strategy for human shields, it, it's it's very upsetting that it works. And look, it's I don't mean to diminish from the fact that there's lots of civilians in Gaza everywhere, but in Gaza who are suffering and the problem is they're suffering not because of Israel, but because of Hamas. But, you know, Pierce Morgan, I don't know if you saw it today, Pierce Morgan got into a whole back and forth with people on Twitter. You know, he's talking about how, uh, yeah, there's people suffering in Gaza. Like, why is that any different than the people suffering in Israel? And you're just seeing this moral equivalency again and again. And I'm curious, as time goes on and as people kind of, it fades, the memory of October 7th, I wonder, I worry that there's going to be more and more pressure on Israel. We even discussed this last time. Yeah, there's, there's, there's pressures. Like, it's hard. I think it's hard to say. Like, pressure has been building. Um, I don't know, like, how long people's attention will remain on Israel. Um, like, uh, like, there's a lot of pressure. But, like, if you look at the Ukraine war, it dominated the news cycle for a while. And then the war didn't, didn't slow down, but it kind of faded and people were, were less, um, less engaged after a while. So I think pressure will probably start to increase, but maybe it will also fade. But um, yeah, like the pressure is there. It's going to, it's, it's going to stay there. Um, I think Biden and and the administration want like partly they want this humanitarian pause to kind of take the pressure off Israel. Like they understand completely Hamas needs to be eradicated, but they're also contending with this outside pressure. 
So I think they think a humanitarian pause will take some of the pressure off Israel and off of them so Israel can continue. Interesting. But, um, yeah. 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 In terms of this moral equivalency, like you're, you're absolutely right. Um, like I was, I was watching, um, the channel 12 news in Israel before this, they, they were interrogating Hamas operatives and they were saying like, yeah, of course we, we use ambulances to transport weapons around. Of course we like hide under the hospital. So like, I, like, I think the problem is a lot of this pressure is coming from, as we were discussing before, this kind of simplistic view. Like, people go on TikTok, they see Palestinian children getting killed. They don't know the history. They don't know the context. They don't, they don't know what Hamas did. A lot of them don't know the details of October 7th. And, like, so I think a lot of it comes from ignorance, um, even if people have good intentions. But, yeah, this, this, it's, it's a simple story to say there's a lot of children killed here and therefore this needs to stop. And people don't understand that it's, it's a benefit to Hamas if it stops. And Hamas says themselves, they're going to keep doing October 7th attacks as soon as they can. They, uh, they say our goal is to eradicate Israel. We want a permanent war. We want bigger conflicts. So like a humanitarian pause that strengthens Hamas will allow them to continue fighting and will get more people killed on both sides. But it's, you have to like understand a lot to, 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 to grasp all of this stuff. And you can't, you like, you can't really expect casual observers to, to like know, know the history of this conflict, which goes back, you know, you can trace it back centuries, at least more than a hundred years. Um, so like, it's it's a hard sell to like not have Israel deal with this pressure. So I, I think it's unavoidable, and it's something that we like Israel and its supporters just need to accept that it's it's there and it's going to be there. Yeah. By the way, you're absolutely right. It's it's an excellent point because we we try to kind of over and everyone is guilty of trying to oversimplify these things, a very things that are very very complicated and gray. And yeah, you just like pull out this fact out of context. Oh, look at all these innocent children. Look at what's happening to them. And that's a great point that anybody who doesn't see the complexity and doesn't see the bigger picture, you're talking about people like you said, uneducated people, people who don't have the knowledge, who don't have the grasp, who can't possibly. Number two, you talk. You have Twitter and Facebook, where literally anybody who has no clue in their brain and doesn't know anything and just sees something, if they have a lot of followers, they could just make a comment that like seems innocuous. Oh yeah, look at all these kids, whatever, and uh, and do so much incredible damage due to just complete ignorance. Even if they don't have malicious intent, some people do have malicious intent. But I'll grant you that a lot of people don't. And 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 Hamas, they know how to leverage that in Iran and their whole propaganda machine. They know how to leverage that so well. You know, I mean, and, and just as an example, you know, Pierce Morgan, that tweet I mentioned earlier, he basically said it, it was horrific. What happened in Israel October 7th, the innocent lives lost was horrific. And then now the slaughter of innocent Palestinians is equally horrific. And that was his that was his quote. And the implication is clear. And then Ben Shapiro responded. He said, yeah. You're right. They're both equivalent and both are caused by Hamas. But 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 the minute you say those types of things, it literally encourages you said it. Well, you said a, a pause. What's a pause going to do? It's probably going to mean that more lives are lost on both sides. So it's like the minute you say that, you know, that the, the human shield, the minute you use that card, you play that card. What happens? Terrorist groups are going to go and run and use more human shields because, oh, wow, like it actually worked. It actually worked. Yeah, I mean, like, I agree that it's it's as like if a, a Palestinian baby or an Israeli baby gets killed, it's 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 equally tragic for both of them. 
But like, as you were saying, like I, I hold Hamas responsible for both. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to understand why progressives in the U.S. are protesting against Israel and not Hamas right now. Hamas is very clear and candid about what they're doing. They want this violence. They want to get people killed. One, one of their leaders said in, a, in an Arabic um, interview recently, he said, we're, we're willing to sacrifice millions of our own people. And he, he said this from Qatar, where he lives. He said, we're willing to sacrifice millions of our own people. So they're, they're very smart, and this is a part of the strategy. They, they know their people are going to get killed, and they know it's going to um, infuriate a lot of people in the West and elsewhere and in the, in the Middle East. So it's part of their strategy to get their people killed, and um, it's it's working. And when people join these protests, they're they're playing into that. What needs to happen is Hamas needs to be wiped out, and there needs to be a big long-term effort to rebuild Gaza and change things on the ground there. And um, yeah, I think a lot of this comes from this simplistic understanding, like like young people who are much more polls have shown are much more sympathetic to us and the Palestinians than older people. I think a lot of this comes from TikTok and, and other social media where you see um, first you have algorithms kind of channeling you into one area. Yeah. So you see one and that side on the progressive side is the pro-Palestinian side. So if you're a progressive person, your algorithm is feeding you one side and you're seeing Palestinian kids getting killed you probably didn't see the details of October 7th. You probably don't know a lot of the context. So it feels good to support that and call for a ceasefire. And it feels good to go to a protest and chant from the river to the sea. And like, there are, there are hardliners at these protests and leading them. Like you were talking about the CUNY law speakers Um, this year and last year, they're from a group called within our lifetime. And they're explicitly against the state of Israel. They, 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 they chant this at protests. They know exactly what they're saying. But I think a lot of people show up without really knowing what's going on. And they, they chant these things and get on board with these things, which are, in essence, a lot of them calls to wipe out the, the whole Jewish state. Um, so, I, like, I think there's a lot of factors here. A lot of it's ignorance. A lot of it's social media. A, a lot of it's kind of these hardline groups leading the charge. Other people not knowing what's going on. Um and it's 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 not it's not going to change. There's there's not going to stop being these horrific images and suffering coming out of Gaza. Um, so it's 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 going to be there, and it's something like Israel and and Jews and Israel supporters need to just to to be aware of and and know that it's going to be there. Absolutely. All right. Uh, final question: How are things going over there at JTA? It's been a few weeks. You liking it? <laughs> yeah, it's been good. Um, it's been about a month. Um, it's been like. Uh, obviously a crazy month to get started right it was nice it was nice that i was able to like hit the ground running and do a lot of reporting right away i've I've been able to focus on new york and u.s stuff a lot more which is better for me because i'm living living here now than than uh than what i was doing before where i was more focused on the middle east so yeah overall it's going really good jta and the new york jewish week we're uh covering the situation in the u.s and the new york pretty close and New York pretty closely. So, uh, yeah, I would strongly encourage everyone to check out our site and, and follow what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You do see things there that you will not see anywhere else. And your particular coverage, I have been keeping an eye on, as you could tell here. And uh, I love it. I love it. You go in depth. You, uh, I guess, like you said, with that cafe story, you get there in person, you interview people. So you have perspectives and angles and like an inside of viewpoint for your stories that you cover that I do not see often anywhere else. So I really appreciate that, your knowledge and uh, your 
eloquence and ability to articulate these things. So it's really cool. I'm not just trying to, you know, <laughs> flatter you here, but I really mean that. Thanks very much, Yaakov. All right. So, so we absolutely, we'll leave it on that note. Luke Tress, formerly of Times of Israel and now the JTA and the New York Jewish Week on the VIN News podcast. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks.